Navarros. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Podcast. I wonder if I vocally sound different, if I sound like I'm in the Catskills in New York, Dan. I think you do. I think you do. I, I think you sound like you're on top of a mountain. Yeah. Not on top of the world, on top of a mountain. As Catskills Mountain-y, I don't remember too much. There was a game farm, the Catskills game farm. So it's a farm where you just play board games? No, you'd like, it was like a petting zoo, basically. Yeah. But that was a commercial that I remember as a kid being on TV because the Catskills was just close enough where it's like, yeah, take the weekend, come on up and pet a llama, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a good weekend to me. Yeah, we, we did it a couple times. I, I've been there probably three or four times. I don't know if, I, I don't think it's still around. Mm-hmm. But that's worth a YouTube, look, yeah. look up the Catskill Game Farm commercial. It does still exist because, of course, I've been reminded of it constantly in preparation of this trip. Sure. Welcome to the show. Welcome. We got uh, wedding day Joey here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not your wedding. <laughs> no. And that's why you're the best man, Dan. The best Dan. The best Dan, man. There you go. We figured out what kind of wedding we're in for. Yep. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I was going to say that you're, you're coming live from a, another secret location other than... Across normal- the street from a Burger King, Dan. Well, now that you said it, it's not a secret anymore. Well, you have to find the Sunoco as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I'll be gone in the four weeks later that it'll come for this episode to come out, thankfully. Or maybe I live here now. Let's find out. Are you, are you close enough to, like, Tim Horton's territory where you're at? Or is that more, more just strictly Buffalo? Yeah, I, I think it, exactly. I think that's more. Cl- the closer you get to Canada over that way, I guess. Yeah. I've never, like, take, I've been to Buffalo, but I've never really, like, been to Buffalo. Well, you haven't been to you? Buffalo until you've been to Tim Hortons, I guess. Tim Hortons. Yeah, I've never been to a Tim Hortons. I'm, I'm no, quite familiar with it, but... Neither have I. Yeah, this uh, was just like on tour, let's get there and get out kind of thing. Yeah. But it seemed okay. People were nice. I like Buffalo people. I've met a lot of people that have like left Buffalo and, and been out in the world, and they're good. They're nice people. There's good stuff in that water. I don't know if it's the same water that I may be drinking today, because I love water, Dan. Love it. I, if there's one thing I knew about you, it's it's that you loved water. I say pass the soda so I can dump it out. I'm going to drink some water. Oh well, I was actually thinking of you today. I had uh, I, I I recently purchased some uh, some more cherry vanilla Coke. If you're uh, drinking soda and thinking of me, Dan, that's a good thing. I was, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember we talked about it uh, recently. We were talking about that one specifically. It was on our Crossfire episode. Yes, because it just came out and I had to edit it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I knew it was like only a couple episodes ago. I knew it was very recently. And I've, I've since tasted a couple bottles of it. It's still good. Yes. No, I enjoyed it. I had some leftover pizza. and Ooh, uh, That's some... perfect for that. Exactly. It was, it, 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 everything, everything was nice. It was in, when I was prepping for t- this episode, I, I had When you did rolling. the Falcon. When I did what? The Falcon. The Falcon. The Falcon. I'm going to try to say Falcon like they say in this movie. Oh, Falcon. Oh, Falcon. Like Miami. I didn't really think about that that much, actually. Like, I didn't really... I think I was so I, like I've, even though I've seen this movie a million times, I, I still try to figure out the plot every time I watch it. You know, I was watching the special features. There's like a nice little documentary on mm. the movie with the craziest lineup of people. I mean, you're getting Henry Rollins. What? I which Fred, which one was that? Is that on the Blu-ray? It is on the Blu-ray. That's the one you're holding. I'd be holding it up if I was at home myself. But yeah, it's it's a great feature. It's like about a half hour. Um, and yeah, Frank Miller from Comics was on there. Really? Uh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out which one, because I, I, I thought I was watching one, and it was called Breakdowns of 1941, and then I realized it was just studio bloopers. And that Yo, was, but that studio bloopers was delightful. It's fascinating. I, I was like, I, I was meant to shocked. research that more. I'm so sorry, listeners. I didn't, 
I didn't get into that because I wanted to know more about it. I feel like I've heard about it. Like it was just kind of a something that some editor made to show around and it just became so famous that eventually like they're like, we have this, you know, the worst they're saying is damn and goddamn. Let's let's throw it on here. Yeah, and it's, it was it it's was great. Funny. It's worth the price of admission. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. And that's and that's why because it just it like on the special features, it just says breakdowns of 1941. I'm like, I thought, yeah. oh, maybe maybe it's like they're talking about that at the era because typically it's something geared towards specifically the movie. So I really didn't know what I was getting into. And then I started watching. I'm like, then it was like, nope, it's oh, just real? I was like, blooper real of a bunch of different movies. And usually, you know, some they show bloopers around that time. It's not the first time I've seen something like this. And they're always so corny and dry. But this thing was, I, I was actually cracking up like a good blooper reel should do. Yeah, you had James Stewart cursing and stuff. I was like, yeah. so, I, I was like, really? Wow. I was like, <laughs> I was like that, was, that was fascinating. But no, I'll have to but in, that, in that documentary, though, everyone kept saying the folk and they were trying to play it right. And they, they were even doing the fancy like new are you know like yeah it was it was a good time i want to hear henry rollins talking about it he doesn't say much but you're still just like after seeing so many people uh michael madsen does does a quick thing he's bleach blonde as hell too i don't know what movie he was filming at that time but yeah i mean it's just the randomest group of people and of course old peter bogdanovich gotta be there i was say yeah that i mean there's a point i think in his life where like he, he transitioned from Directing movies to just not doing anything, and then people just well, there was directing movies and taking the credit from his ex-wife Polly Platt, yeah. and then when she decided to tap out and realize enough was enough, then he made all those bad movies that nobody likes, mm-hmm. and then he was like, okay, let me just do the circuit and talk about how I'm friends with Orson Welles all the time. Like, <laughs> fuck I mean, guy. I will, I will say this: if you were friends with Orson Welles, you'd probably talk about that a lot too. I, I, I'm not defending him; I'm just saying. I would like, have other friends to bring up and then i would be like throw you know like three or four stories down the line and be like yeah all right me and orson you know we got some burgers and yeah he's a good guy yeah i'd be i'd be pretty stoked if i was friends with orson Wells. i mean we're friends we're friends with orson i think we would yeah. like him i think he'd like us i should say <laughs> i'm pretty sure we'd like him yeah i i think so he doesn't seem like terrible or like annoying like most people are like i think he's just i don't know too much of a genius you know yeah i was gonna say yeah he's very very much a genius so it's like it's in, it would be interesting yeah Speaking of geniuses, let's talk about John Houston. <laughs> See how that, that worked. Transition yeah. on that one. I guess, I mean, we're, we're in this thing. This is, this is my feelings of uh, the Falcon, the Maltese Falcon. I'm going to keep doing when you When you say that, it, 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 it reminds me of like Star Wars when they say the Millennium oh, yeah. Falcon. No, and that's exactly yeah. when I wondered, like, is that where you got that from? Or did we just used to say Falcon differently? Like, what happened? I don't know. So maybe it's a Hollywood thing. But this is a movie I like, I like a lot, but I can't recommend either interesting <laughs> i i like the sum of its parts more than like the actual execution like all the production all like even watching that documentary like i, I found myself liking the movie more than i actually like it. um i first experienced this one in high school uh, at a detective fiction class it was an easy credit so I, of course i came right in and, and i actually enjoyed myself it was right when i was learning about all all of this stuff and we watched the maltese falcon because we were talking about like red herrings and, and MacGuffins, and and this one it's got the best of them all oh yeah and I remember being bored out of my mind while watching it because instantly right off the bat, the opening scene is just so confusing and such a mess. It, it does not hold your hand and it, it sets a tone that I think is a mistake because after that, I feel like then things really get to the movie, you know? Right. You, it's, I understand the beginning because you need to show his partner and, and set up so much, but I don't know. It's just a little, it's a little dry. I like this movie was such a, it was so revolutionary um, October 1941. So this is one of the earliest film noirs. Like, and it, it definitely as far as like the private detectiveness goes, like this was the one 
that really set the tone and has, yeah. has been and copied every, like it was a blueprint and because of that so much has taken what was great about it and excelled ever since and so it leaves the blueprint just looking a little flat to me but I like this movie. I do like this movie. It's almost like a Laura situation where it's like a movie I like, but it's just like, I'm not, I, I can't recommend it. I got a million more I'm going to put before this one. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think I would watch, and this is, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dan. This is the first time I'm ever going to apologize for doing that, by the way. But it's, it's for all the interruptions I've ever done. I'm sorry. <laughs> but okay. Bogey, this kind of also set the tone for me with Bogey. And I was like, he's fine. And then you showed me Dark Passage and that blew me away. Mm. And I would say watch Dark Passage before watching this. I wonder how you feel about something like that. Please go ahead, Dan. I agree that I do love Dark Passage, as as you know we we have previously talked about. But that I think that could be a testament to you know that's six years after this came out. So I think yeah, you know, there's there's and there was a lot in between that. But I definitely get what you're saying. But I think in a from a perspective at the time, this was John Huston's first directorial film. Like this was his, yes. his debut. So like out of the gate, regardless of what maybe shortcomings it has. I mean, if this is your first movie and oh, yeah. done as no. well, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Like, out of the, like you kind of knock it out a, of the park. He does a great job, yeah. and you read all the behind-the-scenes stuff. This is what I'm saying. Like, when we're going to be talking about the fun trivia and stuff, that's the meat of this to me. Yeah. It's just, like, how it all came together, just little things. And, and just because he was an actor and having that perspective and taking that into direct, I mean, he had everything mapped out, but if someone had a better idea, he was always willing to listen to it and... You know, everyone became, for the most part, lifelong friends after this because of the production that became so close and they really built something together. Yeah. that All that I can appreciate. The way he had, like, Mary Astor, just, like, she was apparently, like, running laps around to get that breathless, exhausted feel to her. I mean, that that's genius. Yeah. So that's all the stuff that I'm really into. But it, the movie itself, it, it's... We'll get, we'll get into it. Let's get into it, Dan. Yeah, I think so. But I, I will say this, that I, I definitely get what you're saying and... I'm I'm probably of the camp where it's like this is one of the first movies I also happen to see in film noir. Yeah, like, this, this is, is one like, they throw to you pretty yeah. early, and I understand why. But yeah, it. I, it I mean, even even Sam Spade says it in the middle of the movie, which is kind of funny, where he says, "Because my own true love, I've got to keep in some sort of touch with all the loose ends of this dizzy affair, if I'm ever going to make heads or tails of it." He even like kind of recognizes like that everything that's going on is just it's very confusing. Like yes. like like there's a lot going on in a short amount of time and there's a and lot it's gonna of be players. fun to read this plot rundown and yes. pretend like we know what's happening yes. because everything I that it says here i get the gist yeah there's it's just placement and you know because a lot of stuff you figure out after the fact you're like oh okay that's what they were talking right. about or going for so yeah but we're in san francisco this is the one that set the tone of being in san francisco as a noir city and uh, it does a great job with that. I love San Fran in this movie. Me too. Well, I mean, you know, we, you know my thoughts on San Francisco and film noir in particular. So w- once you get that out of the gate, you know I'm, I'm pretty much sold at that point. You're already pulling me in. And so we got San Francisco. We're in 1941, which is when the movie was released in October. We got Sam Spade and we have his partner, Miles Archer. Mm-hmm. Don't get too attached to Miles Archer, though. I like both the names. I think they're cool. Great names. name. Spade and Archer, yeah. You almost want a prequel. See what those guys were up to, even though they hate each other, right? Do they hate each other though? I think I think they there's like they have a level of acquaintanceship. I'd say maybe not necessarily friendship, but well, I, think they, was, I think they get along enough. I don't think they was, hate each other. Was Sam Spade sleeping with his Archer's wife? No. Was that confirmed? Because this is where these are the things I get confused about. Some things get brought up, and then I I don't see the resolution. So the best that I can gather is that 
she really was interested in Sam Spade, but he wanted nothing to do with her. And whether they actually did have any type of relationship further than him just being, you know, partners with Archer, it doesn't really give you a whole lot of pressure. It's, it seems more one-sided to her liking him. And he's yeah. been, he kind of rebuffs her throughout the, the film. So I mean, he's rebuffing a lot. Women love yeah. Sam Spade. When uh, Ruth Wonderly is coming in, played by Mary Astor, of course. And one of like, you know, One of names. her two names, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, she actually has three. They, yeah. Yeah, she has three. She's not forthcoming with her name, that's for sure. Um, not forthcoming yeah. with anything. <laughs> when when uh, their assistant brings her in, she's like, hey, we got a, we got a babe for you. Like, she's like helping yeah. scout out. <laughs> that's Effie right there. Yes, sweetheart. There's a girl wants to see you. Her name's Wonderly. Customer? I guess so. You'll want to see her anyway. She's a knockout. Sure in, Effie, darling. Sure in. Effie, yeah. Isn't she like third build? Good question. Um, yeah, I think she is Gladys George. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It's Mrs. Archer is third build. Oh, okay. And she's th- like I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Lee movie. Patrick. Lee, Lee Patrick, I think, is Effie. Lee Patrick yeah. is Effie. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And she's sort of in the movie, too. But there's like four characters you need to pay attention to, right? Roughly. Four, four or five. Yeah. No more than a handful, sir. So she's coming in. She says, I'm looking for my missing sister. She's involved with a man named Floyd Thursby. Another great name. Yes. And so it's set up that Spade's like, hey, Archer's going to handle this one. You go ahead and follow her. We'll figure this out. It's the middle of the night, and Spade is woken up. And the police say, hey, Archer, he's been murdered. Then he has a told to talk to the police. One of them is his friend, Detective Tom Paulus. Ward Bond, a great, great actor. He's in a lot of, a lot of film noir. He's with Lieutenant Dundee. <laughs> great name. Um, <laughs> And they're saying, hey, we're a little suspicious of you. We're letting you know the deal. But Thursby was also murdered. And we think we have a motive because it doesn't seem like you and your partner like each other. And the widow seems to be into you as well. Yeah. Um, and she was, they find out later that you know, she wasn't really at home. And like, she was kind of pretending to, that she had been home. So that's a little bit suspect, too. And he's also, after it gets murdered, like, he's very unemotional about it. He's taken his name right off the door instantly. <laughs> they do really try to set it, set you up as the viewer to kind of suspect him right off the bat. I mean, they, they kind of paint it that way from the get-go that there might be some, he might be like, have this sinister ulterior motive. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the he's way. Just, he's just a dick, that's all. <laughs> In more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> that he's not so private about. Yes. Then, so he meets with his client again, and now she's Bridget O'Shaughnessy. She says, yeah, I know Thursby. We were partners, and he probably killed Archer, but I don't know who killed him. But Spade, he doesn't, he's not, he, does, he was not too into this case to really begin with, but, you know, Archer was willing to take it on, and, and he's deciding to continue it. And from there, <laughs> it's, this movie sucks to describe. Uh, I was going to say, like, that, that's what I was, I think I was dreading most about this film. As much as I do enjoy this, is like trying to explain the plot. So I, yeah. I feel like if we do general overview, I think that's okay. <laughs> then we're gonna meet Joel Cairo. He's he's a character. Yes, Peter Lorre. This this movie's fascinating because because it was so successful. Like everybody got sort of typecast, and they were working together a lot. Like I think like him and um, Gutman. Yeah, uh, Cindy Greenstreet and yeah, and they Brody. did like like nine movies together. Those two. Yeah, I mean the, the next year they did Casablanca together. Right, all three of them. But yeah, he's he's a nefarious character, and he's offering five thousand dollars to find a black figure of a bird, which is the Maltese Falcon. This thing's going to be pretty important throughout the movie that they do name it <laughs> after it. So it must be something. 
Yes. How much do you think that prop weighed, by the way? It seemed pretty heavy. A lot. Well, I mean, I've read that. Well, one of there's they made a few of them, and one of them bogey dropped during the shooting, and they had it on display for a while and had a huge chip out of it. So I, I think it was pretty heavy. That's cool. I, I'm sure, like nowadays, it'd be like nothing. But b- back then, things weighed more. <laughs> you know what's fascinating about this movie is it was remade. This was the third time they made it. Mm-hmm. The second time was like a crazy comedic version. But then they stopped remaking it after that. I'm surprised we never got another one of these. Yeah, I. I, I hate to say it, but I just, I, I don't know if a contemporary audience would be interested, like a general contemporary audience. I mean, I know. No, people, I'm saying me as a contemporary audience was barely interested. Right. I'm saying like of a new one. So say if they did one now, say if they were filming a new one right now. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if that, that would have a, a wide appeal enough that like the execs would be like, yeah, we should just remake Maltese Falcon right now. Like, I just, I don't, I don't see that happening. You'd have to change so much because, I mean, when you really look at it, there's not too much that happens. Like. Even the the final scene is like so much of it, and they're all just in that one room, and I, I, so much of that was budgetary reasons. I mean, this yeah. is a a pretty low budget movie that they put together. I mean, Warner Brothers was making this this uh, adaptation for like the third time, so they weren't looking to get too deep into it. Yeah, most of the stuff happens off screen or just through stories. It's not yes, not which is seeing, what makes yeah. it so confusing because, of course, right. seeing is believing. Right. Basically, it's just like a bunch of people in a room telling you <laughs> what what's happened and and what's going on. And you're just trying to take it for face value, or you're trying to figure out what the plot is and or what the whole scheme is. Just you're figuring out who you people. can trust. Everyone's pulling guns on one another. Yeah. I mean, you got Cairo pulling a gun here, Spades knocking him out, and he searches him, and then he gets hired afterwards. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty uh, convoluted. Look what you did to my shirt. Sorry. But imagine my embarrassment when I found out that $5,000 offer was just hooey. Mr. Spade, my offer is genuine. I am prepared to pay $5,000 for the figure's return. You have it? No. But if it isn't here, why did you risk serious injury to prevent my searching for it? Why don't you sit around here and let people come in and stick me up? Certainly, it is only natural that I try to save the owner such a considerable expense, if possible. Who is he? Mr. Spade, you'll forgive my not answering that question. Yeah, well, I think we'd be better off all around if we put our cards on the table. No, I do not think it would be better. You see, Mr. Spade, uh, if you know more than I do, then I shall profit by your knowledge. So will you, to the extent of $5,000. Well, there's nothing like $5,000 here. Oh, you want some assurance of my sincerity. Retainer, would that do? It might. Uh, You will take, say, $100? No, I will take, say, $200. Well, what I do like about the Sam Spade character and the way that Bogart plays it is that he doesn't carry a gun. Like, he's just, he he just, he kind of just uses his wits about him to just, to navigate this, this whole He's very witty. I mean, I would say you're mostly coming for some good patter. There's some great lines in this one. Yes, very much so. And just also the the achievement. It's such a interesting accomplishment what they pulled off here. Yeah, I, I think uh, above all, I, I just, I think Bogey, this is like one of my favorite, personally, one of my favorite Bogey uh, performances. Like I think he just, he, he like plays it really well, I think. Like that's one of the things I really enjoy about watching this. Just and this was the him. first time he played a hero. He'd been cast as villains previously right. before that. And he got this because George Raft turned it down. George Raft turned down a lot of roles that Bogey ended up getting. A lot of them were famous roles yes yep <laughs> made yeah, that George draft mistake a lot, lot. Yeah. yeah what one man's uh trash is another man's treasure right yep you snooze uh, you lose fade tells o'shaughnessy that 
Cairo hired him and Cairo then shows up and it becomes clear that, hey, everybody knows each other. And then we start to hear of a fat man who is in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We wonder if this man is is pretty fat. His name turns out to be Gutman, so he yes. better be large <laughs> and in charge. <laughs> so yeah, then there's, there's Wilmer, who's a, a guy who's following around, and he's got a nice mean face. It's Alicia Cook for, from our previous episode for The Killing. He's great in this. Uh, yeah, he's really good, yeah. He, he's really good in this one. I like the scene where... And that's what's cool is because he does look so young, and especially coming yes. from The Killing, which was, at, what, like at least a decade later, right? Yeah. A little more, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 55, right? So Yeah, we're in 41. So. 41, so yeah, about 14 years. Yeah. There you go. I love the scene. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is where uh, he's been tailing him, and they're in the hotel that Cairo's staying at, mm-hmm. and he's sitting there reading the newspaper, and just the way Bogey messes with him, and he's friends with the guy that the manager or whatever who runs the hotel and they go over to him. That whole I just I think that sequence is great. I, I just that that one that scene always gets me. What do you let these cheap gunmen hang around the lobby for with their heaters bulging in their clothes? What do you want here? Well, if you don't want anything, beat it. And don't come back. I won't forget you guys. What is it? I don't know. I just spotted him. So now we're meeting Gutman, who is the fat man, who was played by... Sidney Greenstreet. Sidney Greenstreet, yes. And this was his first movie. He had been 40 years deep into a, a stage career. Mm-hmm. And they were having trouble casting this part. And they suggested, let's uh, let's go take in a play and see what we got. He says a lot of nothing in this movie. Like, he just... He, like... You know, this is another time I thought of you where I'm like, oh, Dan had subtitles on and, and was probably better for it because he <laughs> missed so much that he says. He's like making like a quilt with his words or something. I don't I don't know. Like he just he it's, just like says so much and like it just like and talks about how much he loves Sam Spade so much about like the type of man he is. Like he just goes on. And yeah, on. he's just like always like talking about something very happily. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, he's got a gun. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Speaking of quilts, though. He was so large, they actually had to specifically make his wardrobe for him. Wow. He weighed 357 pounds, 60 Mm. years old. Wow. And on the other side of that, Humphrey Bogart had to wear his own clothes because Warner Brothers was trying to save a buck. Yeah. And like you said, at the time, I mean, he wasn't necessarily a star at that point. So, I mean, he played a lot of secondary roles. So they, they probably weren't going to invest a whole lot into wardrobe for this guy anyway. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. It, yeah, I think it, it might've been different if he was like a, a major star at that point, but he was. I think there was so many factors of just like, we got a first time director. We got all these stars that, you know, are a little risky. Um, yeah. You know, Mary Astor had hey, so Astor, many yeah. off screen gossip happening at the time, which, you know, was part of the allure of bringing her in because it helped fuel that character. But yeah, overall the, the budget was $300,000. Yeah, which doesn't seem like a lot, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, adjusted for inflation, I still can't imagine that's too much. But yeah, Gutman, he's a good time. He wants the bird as well, and (laughs) he's offering money. He's offering $25,000. Get this bird. This is where they're having a drink, and it's spiked, right? Uh, So they meet twice. So the second time that he meets him, he he gets the spike drink. So the okay. first time they meet, they just have a conversation. And that's the one where Bogart like pretends like he gets really angry because he's not getting the information and storms out. And you're wondering like if he's really serious. And then you see it like yeah. once, like he walks into frame, you kind of see that he's smiling like he's kind of. Is that where he temper tantrums off into the elevator and then yes. you see Cairo coming off immediately after? Yeah, that's correct. Cool that's the first like time. That. This then it subsequently comes back later. So then, he, then he comes back and then yes. he gets hired and he's like, hey, let's have a drink and. Uh-oh. 
hijinks ensue. That thing yep. is spiked. Yeah, he and gets then, kicked in the face by. Uh, yes, he does a Bogart does a karate chop at one point. I mean, there is the violence is really cool in this one though. Yeah, um, he gets throat punched. Uh, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I mean, when they, blows are thrown, they're very interesting. Yes, and yeah, he does. Oh, he gets kicked. Kicked <laughs> right in the face. Very brutal. Like that's gonna be fun to wake up from. Yeah. Spade wakes up. He he's still in the suite. He looks around and finds a newspaper of the La Pomona mm-hmm. as a freighter. That hey, maybe this thing's got the Falcon coming and in goes from the, uh, Hong Kong. And so he goes to the dock, and the ship is on fire. Yes, and literally. Literally, we're not talking figuratively. It's no, no, yeah, of course. Usually, when I'm saying that, I'm saying you know figuratively. Yes, much like this episode is on fire. Yes, <laughs> it, it most certainly is. Yes, but not figuratively. So then you see the ship's captain, Jacoby. He's been shot, and he makes his way into the office before dying. And he has the Falcons. He's clutching onto it. He's made it out of the fire with this really heavy, bundled up. Like, I mean, when they're tearing apart at it later, there's like, I don't know, like cotton coming out. I mean, this thing's well insulated. But I mean, yeah, it's, I guess got, it's wrapped in like cloth. Well, I also mentioned that the captain, Jacoby, was actually played by uh, Walter Houston, who's, uh, he was uncredited, but that's uh, John Houston's father, who's also yes. an actor. Yeah, he's great in Treasure of Sierra Madre, which I absolutely love. There's a lot of, there was a lot of pranks being pulled and a lot of them involved his dad, uh, mm-hmm. Walter Houston. And then they were also playing pranks on Warner Brothers. Like at one point they were, Warner Brothers said, hey, ease off on the smoking because it's going to make people want to go into the lobby and have a cigarette themselves. So they joked and then made like every scene was smoking. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers got pissed and then they stopped and then they were like, uh, something's missing here and we think it's the cigarettes. So they had to fight to get some cigarettes back in there. <laughs> I, did, I did know that. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Hey, Jinx, Dan. Good times. Yep. So O'Shaughnessy, she gives a call in and she says, here's an address and she gives off a scream. The line goes dead. So Spade, he goes ahead and stashes the, the Falcon in a bus terminal and heads over, which is an empty lot. Yep. That's no fun. So Spade returns home, finds O'Shaughnessy and he takes her inside and there's Gutman, Cairo and Wilmer. And we're going to be in this scene for the rest of the time. Yes. This is where you're like, maybe I understand what's happening, and this movie proves to you, no, you don't. Yes, no. I mean, <laughs> I, and I'll, I'll say this: I don't, I don't. At that point in the film, I typically don't claim that I know what's going on in the film, but yeah. but most things get cleared up. Exactly. The, the thing is, time. it's so confusing, and you don't really get answers. But where it leaves you off, you're just like, okay, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Maybe you just did all that, so I'm not even paying attention to this. I mean, I feel like some of this must have been intentional. Yes. So we're all just not like, what's up with this bird? I mean, these other people seem pretty guilty, right? It's the mystery of it. You know what I mean? It's just the whole mystery is to keep people into it, you know? Yeah. So Gutman, he offers up 10 grand, but Spade, he's, he's like, yeah, maybe, but I'm all going to need to turn some people over and I need a fall guy. And he's like, hey, we, <laughs> what about that kid over there who I do not like, old Wilmer? Yeah. He's instantly happy to offer him up and, and Wilmer doesn't like that, but Gutman's like, yeah, maybe. Go ahead. Well, first he says he's like a son to me. I don't think I could do that. And then he says uh, for Cairo, and then they kind of go back and forth. And finally, they're like, oh, maybe like, they, like Cairo and him and uh, Gutman talk. Like, oh no, maybe maybe Wilmer's okay. Maybe we let him take the fall. So they say okay. They knock out Wilmer. Spade says, hey Effie, come on and bring over the bundle. So she gets a nice appearance <laughs> one more time. One more time. One more time, and then. Uh, it comes over they that's where they rip it apart and they see it and everyone's really psyched and this was something i was i caught in the that special feature where they're saying every time it would cut to someone's face where there's like a falcon 
bringing it up or even seeing it like they show like the greed on everyone's face like the yeah. then the excitement over it which is really cool they're like hey wait a second let's make sure this thing's real they take a knife to it and oh boy it's not real at all nope well because i mean i think we we didn't mention it but one one thing i do like i do like i think it's in the in the first meeting with with Gutman or no it's a, i think it's the second meeting where he talks about the history of it about where the Maltese falcon has gone and like what hands it's gone through over the years right. and i just i don't know i just find that interesting like just like the kind of travels it had and how they got to that point where it eventually got to a, a, a i think it was like a russian general who was living in istanbul yeah that sounds um, right and, yeah and and that was the last people that they were able to get it from these are facts historical facts not school book history, not Mr. Wells's history, but history, nevertheless. And as we learn now, is that when they have this one, it's it's a fake, as we mentioned. So they're wondering if this is this was like a ruse that was actually set up by that guy, or just simply he always had the wrong one from the get-go and didn't realize yeah. it. So that kind of gives a little bit of that air of mystery as well. You know what? I think if you remake this, you do it where, like, it's not bullshit and it is, like, real and it holds all the excitement and power that they claim it to. Maybe make it a little mystical or something. Like the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls? Yeah, but you just call it the Maltese Falcon. Well, I think, I, well, at that point, then you won't be ha- able to deliver the, the classic final line, which I won't say just yet. You can say, other things could be the stuff dreams are made of, Dan. Yeah, but I don't think it has as much weight uh, to it or as, as much gravity to it. as. Wait, you read my draft. We'll see. Yeah, I would love to read your draft. I'll put a little Gutman heft on it and see if it's weighty for you. I would like your draft, and I'd also like who you would cast in, in a, all the roles in today. Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. Um, I would take uh, <laughs> John Lovitz as Sam Spade. <laughs> now that I would watch. After well, seeing his performance in Southland Tales, I think he's got the chops for this. I was gonna say, like, I, I you know, when you when you mention him, like, I'm thinking like it's gonna be more like high school high kind of like send up. That'd be fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not against comedic, but I still want yeah. him just coming in and be like, "Hey, motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty interesting. I'm trying to think of who would play Cairo. Like, I, I'm trying to think of like. Yeah. I don't know. Peter Laurie is just such a they gotta have some eyes, guy. you know. Who's got? I don't know who has the eyes for that these days. Yeah, he's just such a very good character actor. Yo, I and I also I got Ren and Stimpy while watching this. I forgot. You got Ren Cause, and Stimpy because Cairo goes like you imbecile, like he does oh. the voice, and like you stupid <laughs> idiot, like he does it. <laughs> like, oh, Guys, it. that's there true. It is. That's it. That's entirely where that came from. You bunglet! You and your stupid attempt to bite. Kemido found out how valuable it was. <laughs> no wonder we had such an easy time stealing it, you, you imbecile, you bloated idiot, you stupid fathead, you... <laughs> so they're hacking away at this thing with like a pocket knife. It doesn't look like it would work. I, you know, I probably would have went to the kitchen and grabbed something a little, a little sharper and bigger. But, you know, when it's that fake, it's just coming right apart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh-oh, that's not good. It's a fake. Wilmer says, I'm going to escape during all of this. And Gutman and Cairo say, let's get out of here. We're going to keep looking for this thing. Yes. I smell a sequel, which actually almost happened. This thing was very successful. And everyone intended to make a sequel, but they just were too busy. Yeah, that happens. Maybe, maybe for the best. Maybe there's a long lost sequel they filmed on one of those uh, weekends all the cast would have together hanging out. Some home movies. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's gone except for Spade and O'Shaughnessy, and someone's got to take the fall. 
he calls him up and turns out, hey, O'Shaughnessy, we know that you killed Archer to implicate Thursby. He was getting in the way. So she says, yes. But, oh, sweetheart, it wasn't only that. I'd have come back to you sooner or later. From the very first instant I saw you, I knew. Well, if you get a good break, you'll be out of Tehachapi in 20 years, and you can come back to me then. I hope they don't hang you, Precious, for that sweet neck. You're not... Yes, Angel, I'm going to send you over. The chances are you'll... Get off with life. That means if you're a good girl, you'll be out in 20 years. I'll be waiting for you. If they hang you, I'll always remember you. He does apparently love her. I don't know if I necessarily got that from this at all. I don't buy that at all. It's something that kept being told to me, and it was just like, nah, I don't know. I don't but, think he does. Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting, like, when you read about this film. And it'd be one thing if it was just like, oh, it didn't come off in the script or performance. But the whole time, there's, like, all these women coming through, and he's, like, clearly sleeps with everybody. And all of a sudden, he's supposed to, like, fall in love with this one woman who we do not see that happening at all the entire time. She yes. lies about literally everything. Like, everything, like there's, yeah. There's so it's, like, nothing, not even, like, yeah. you don't know her, so I, I don't buy that. Yeah, I, I don't buy that either. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. So I said, go ahead and you go. You send it to the cops. I'm with you, Spade. You don't love her after all. He's like, yeah, I love you. He's like, I'll see you in 20 years. <laughs> you know who I loved was Ruth Wonderly, you know? Not Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. Or the other name that we forgot. Yeah, I forgot what the other name is now. Because she only says it, like, really briefly. I know, but you know what, Dan? That name, that's... The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. <laughs> we, we need to make a list of at the end of this episode of, of everything that dreams are made of. <laughs> yes, it's bootleg Maltese Falcons and having a good time. Ice cream? Yeah, sure. I love ice cream. What's your yeah. favorite flavor, Dan? I'm a big chocolate guy. You chocolate guy? See, I'm a big vanilla guy. I think uh, we got ourselves a real half and half. That's why we work so well together. You know, it's like you get a little bit of both. You know what I mean? It's true. I mean, I'm, I don't get me wrong. I will go to the other side of the road every now and then. I, 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 I love to the rocky road. I get a little rocky every now and then. Yeah, you, you cross the, to the you cross the rocky road. I feel like that's especially where we, we we're coming together. Yes, no, I agree. And I and, and same same with me. Like I I, I enjoy vanilla as well. Uh, but chocolate's my like go to. You know, it's like when you're at Wendy's and they're asking you what flavor frosty you want, and that's when it really that's when the pressure's on. I haven't had a frosty in forever. I think what? about that. I, I think about that because like I, I know you're not like necessarily a big sports guy, but like for the Sixers games. If it's at home, if the opposing player who's taking a uh, free throw, if they miss both free throw shots, Wendy's gives out free Frosties. You see this, Dan? This oh, means I get that. free Frosties all the time, all year How long. do you get that? You donate. It's now up to $2. Actually, look, I still have last year's on here, too. You donate up to $2, and you get a keychain, and you can get a free Frosty with your meal. I hope you can't hear my dog barking, by the way. I can hear your dog barking. I'm very sorry. I didn't know you had a dog, Dan. You're, you're very heartless when you when it comes to pets. I hear nothing of it. What's your dog's name? My dog's name is Francesca. Francesca? Um, That's a very lovely name. Okay, what type it, of dog? She is, it's like, she's like a mix. She's like a poodle, like Bichon-ish kind of mix. Okay. She's great. No, I, I love her. She just, any, anytime she sees something outside, she'll bark. Sounds like, sounds like there's something good out there. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but uh, normally, like, she can be quiet for most of the time, but sometimes she gets a little bit, gets a little this bit This is the first loud. time we've ever heard her on the podcast, though. So. No, normally she's pretty, pretty chill. So, yeah, something must be really going on outside. 
That's what I'm saying. I, I'm not. I find no fault with Francesca here. I think it's something happened. And she is without a doubt, her. and I, I, and I don't say this lightly. She is my favorite dog I've ever had. Like, like, like she's just oh, the absolute like best. That. Yeah, she's just she's just amazing. She's 11 now. She'll be 12, I think. So she's you know she's she's getting up there. But yeah, she's she's a sweet dog. That's great. Sorry, I just saw my sweet dog in the background moving around. Hi, Brooke. Hi. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to hi, Brooke. <laughs> she wants, she hi. wants to watch The whole Joe podcast Dirt. says hi. I know. Hi. She does want to watch Joe Hello. Dirt. It, we're almost done. I'll take Joe Dirt off of you. I don't even think we even said we were watching Joe Dirt on the podcast. So I'll have to give that context. With you guys talking on mute. There you That's go. The I think the whole audience has been doing that. <laughs> we're all watching Joe Dirt on mute in our hearts. Are the subtitles on, though? No, there's, we've seen Joe Dirt enough times to know what's going on. We could start going, doing our Dennis Miller rants. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, I've, before this whole time, Joe Dirt has been on mute on the podcast. I think we said that the, the, the pre-show. So just wanted our viewers to know why they're getting a random Joe Dirt <laughs> reference. So that's the movie. Um, in the background, I mean, this was based off of a, a very famous novel by Dashiell Hammett, who's pretty big in these uh, noir parts. He also had a character, the Continental Op, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was they just, a couple years back, released a book with the complete stories. I always wanted to pick it up. Yeah, I'm things. always curious about reading some of the novels that these movies are based on. I just never get around to it. Just to see even just the difference. It, yeah. yeah. It's weird. Like, I like this stuff, but I never get too tempted to go into, like, the pulp books or anything mm-hmm. like that. But, I mean, I'm also just a terrible reader. I uh, have a very limited focus. Mm-hmm. And these days, it's just pretty much comic books. Barry Windsor Smith just put out a new comic, Dan. I mean, it's four weeks old at this point. It's called Monsters. It's, it was 35 years in the work, so. Wow. It's pretty exciting stuff. I was going to say, it's a lot of waiting. He did uh, Weapon X, Wolverine. You remember that from when we were a kid? I feel like that comic was so big, I could just make that reference and people know it. Yes. No, I, I, do, I do know what that is, yes. It's a very specific, kinetic, crosshatch, detailed art style. It's just one of a kind. So yeah, I started it and it's been phenomenal. It started as like a Hulk comic that uh, just evolved into something else completely. It was a Hulk Hogan comic, right? I wish. <laughs> I want, Do you think he still has, he probably doesn't even go by Hulk Hogan anymore, but like he had to license that name from Marvel Comics because they own the Hulk. Oh, really? Yeah. So like if you see him even in like a movie, it'll say like at the end in the credits, like, you know, thank you to Marvel or whatever. Oh, I didn't know that. But I yeah, didn't I think about that. Well, I forgot to bring my uh, computer charger, and I got 20% left on this, so let's see what we got. Dashiell Hammett, he came up with this character. He used to work for the Pinkerton Detective Agency in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. and his birth name was Samuel, which is where you get the Sam Spade name. And he created this character because it just was like, he wanted to make a character that was everybody private detectives wanted to be. So he came up with Sam Spade. You know, he's able to be cool, a little cocky. You know, we're seeing that he's able to get women, no problem. I mean, these are the things that a board detective at the Pinkerton Agency would want to do. Sitting there dreaming up stories. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're all doing at our jobs is thinking about a better life and how to get there. And, you know, Jesus Christ, maybe one day I'll come up with one of my stories and that I've been sitting at work just conceiving. I mean, the good thing about jobs is, man, you get time to create stories. This is where you write your treatment for Maltese Falcon. This is where you world build. Yeah. Now that I'm completely not going to do my Karate Kid 5 script, I'll go to Maltese Falcon <laughs> remake. You're gonna I, like, be, I, like I hope you're in on this with me, Dan. Once, I'll do the first draft, but after that, I need you on board. All right. I'm, I'm on board. All right. 
But yeah, everyone was based off of people he worked with in the book, and the novel was serialized in Black Mask, which was a pretty big pulp magazine at the time. So they made a movie of it. It did okay. And then they tried to remake it again. It was going to be called Satan Met a Lady. And this was in 1936. <laughs> but then they changed it and they made it very light. If you watch that documentary, they show clips from it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I It's definitely fascinating watch because to watch like characters and plot. That, I mean, plot as much as that you can know, but like the gist of it. To watch that happen, but like in a totally different sense. It's almost like when we were watching Double Indemnity, both versions. Yeah, different vibe. Exactly. Has that ever been really like formally released as its own release? The the old older Maltese Falcon ones. I don't think so. Maybe yeah. because there, you know, one had Betty Davis, I believe. I'm surprised they're not even like just special features on this. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it, that has that not. Well, apparently there's a DVD version at one point that included it. It had okay. both, it had Maltese Falcon and Satan Met a Lady. Maybe at one point, but. It is weird that it's just not, someone hasn't made like, hey, look at this triple feature we can get for you. Right. You know, or just like a Warner archive of just putting maybe both of them together. Oh, yeah. so, okay. So I found it. So Satan Meta Lady is on Warner archive as, as a DVD, as okay. a standalone. And I don't and know. And as we've seen bonus. with, with uh, Warner archive lately, there absolutely is a possibility that could just come up on Blu-ray at any moment notice. Yes. So yeah, that's, that's fascinating though. I, I think I, if I'd that like comes to see that. If that comes out on Blu-ray, we'll do a bonus episode. That's our promise. Yes. No, definitely. It's like proto-noir. It's fun. That's what we're all about here on the show. A good time. The sequel was going to be called The Further Adventures of the Maltese Falcon, which is all right. I prefer the Maltese Falcon, too. (laughs) Yeah. Electric Boogaloo. That's where they invented it, but then because they never made the sequel, they had to wait until the 80s for a breakdancing sequel. Or or Caddyshack, too. I'm thinking more Caddyshack, too, lines. Both of these are true. Caddyshack 2 and Electric Boogaloo were very involved with the Maltese Falcon, so look it up. Yes. We, we never lie. <laughs> <laughs> so there's three of the statues that still exist because, like you said, they had to make some backups after Bogey dropped one. Mm-hmm. And they're valued at over $1 million each, which makes them more valuable than the film even cost to make. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, actually, um, I remember reading an article about about that of the fate of those recently and it was fascinating and I, and I wish i could find it i'll have to see if i could find it maybe we can post it or something like that about like almost like a, a similarity to the movie where like they kind of changed different hands and kind of disappeared and then they were wondering if they're authentic or not and like it kind of like became very oh meta. yeah that's a good call see that's our remake is just it ha- we don't we're not remaking it it's just like oh someone's taking the props of the maltese falcon and something happens around it Right. Well, that already, that already did happen, so it's going to be like almost a documentary. There you go. Based on a true story. Yes. But the dented one you can see at the movie museum at Warner Brothers. I believe the other ones, just prop collectors have them. Yes. I think that's about it. Oh, Warner Brothers was going to change the name of the film to The Gent from Frisco. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because they had already used the Maltese Falcon title so many times, but John yeah. Houston was able to say, hey, I'm making a good movie here. Why don't you go ahead and hold off on that? And also much of the movie was filmed over Bogey's shoulder so that the audience could be in his point of view, which I found out after the fact. Which is cool. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah, but that's all I got. I'm sure there's more. I'm sorry I did as much research as I could, but I'm not at home in Philadelphia where I'm prepared. I am in the Catskills of New York where everybody is famously flying by the seats of their pants. Yeah, Fam- I was going to you say famously unprepared. <laughs> No, I think I think you did I think you did a fantastic job. I will say this as a on the road experience. That's I mean I there was parts of me that were just like I'm just going to tell Dan maybe we could do it tomorrow or during the week. 
don't have my computer charger, which I'm at 14%, so it is telling me to wrap up. Hmm. I, I wanted the feel of a road uh, episode, you know? Yeah, no, it, it felt good. And, and I think it's, it's a good episode. Yeah, and I think, I think, I think yeah, the movie. episode is as confusing as the plot of the Maltese Falcons. So that's okay. We're just really just doing what the movie wanted us to do. But yeah, it's a, it's a movie that I, ne- I don't love when I'm watching it, but I love when I'm thinking about it after the fact. And that's cool and fascinating to me. Yes, I do. I do I'm get glad that. I bought the, I did buy the Blu-ray of this. And that was another thing. It was like, I really made a point of watching it on Thursday. So I didn't have to, I think it's on HBO Max right now. So, hey, mm-hmm. I'll tell you before we put out the episode, but yes, I should have said that. I, I wanted that experience and I'm glad because I got to watch some of the features that blooper reel is almost worth the price of admission alone. And I'm looking forward to having more viewings of this movie throughout my life. I think keep checking in with me. I'm getting there. I, I, I want to like it and there's nothing that says I don't like it. I just don't love it. But I, but I, again, I love everything about it other than the execution. No, I agree. But yeah, I, I think it's still a classic film noir regardless of where you And I'm trying, it, I'm trying to you know? understand more because of it. it was so groundbreaking. There is so much to be like, of course it's done better because this one needed to kick open the door. So I, mean, I, I just, it's a matter of getting it with that lens too. Right. Just the classic tropes with the, you know, the femme fatale coming into the office of the private investigator. Yeah. The guy sitting at the desk, like all these like very famous tropes that even if you, you're not necessarily that familiar with film noir, that's one of the first things you think of. Like I said, we watched this in detective fiction and of course this thing popped right up. So, I mean, it, it everybody was on board. I mean, it, it's, it is, I, I, I like seeing a detective movie too. Like it's weird. It is a trope, but we haven't done that many of them. Right. So hopefully there'll be more of that. I want to see more bogey. I'm trying to build a list of what I like from him, but so far I still say, yeah, dark passage, man. Watch dark passage. That movie rules. We I'm watched. Fa- I'm fascinated that you. Like we watched Maltese Falcon so, so we could tell you watch Dark Passage. At least that's what I'm saying. I mean, Dan, of course, is saying watch Dark Passage. I don't know if he's saying it over this movie, but I don't I'm know. saying it's watch them all. I'm a big bogey. There you fan, go. There so you go. Watch them. Watch them all. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking to do some Casablanca. Like I'm more in for bogey than I've ever been before. So yeah, between that treasure, Sierra Madre. There's a lot of classics with him. I want to also see some of the 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 villain work he did. I'm I'm curious to see that because he. All his big stuff is as a hero, so I, I, I'd like to see it. It looks interesting. Yeah. All right, Dan. My computer at 10% says this episode is over. Sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like... Do you have any other final thoughts on this one? Nope. What are, what are we watching next week? I don't even remember. Oh, boy, yeah. How about that feature? We're watching Pitfall, Dan. It looked harmless enough. Just a professional model's album of poses. Yet this was the glamorous pitfall where there lurked the most seductive forces of evil. Violent jealousy. Johnny, I like that girl. I don't care what you like or what you don't like. The torments of unfaithfulness. I met her a couple of months ago while I was on a case. What about this girl? Somebody told him a lot of things about her and me. Were they true? Yes. Venomous hate. The raging fury of a guilty conscience. You better call the police. I just killed a man.
Oh, that's an, oh, that is next week. Okay. Do you know? Do you know what year? I I know that because I bought this and Pitfall at the same time. And nice. I man, do know I what year. It's I'm, 19, I'm foolish. Thank you. I was looking. I didn't look at our doc of all of this information that helps me out. I decided to look Pitfall and Pitfall the game came up. I'll be talking about that further next week. <laughs> I like Pitfall the game. I hope I like Pitfall the movie. I've not seen it. Dan has seen it. Elizabeth Scott, it. can she win me over? Bogey's done it. Can she? Let's I'm find hoping. out next week. Fingers are crossed. In the meantime, Dan, coming all the way from New York, here's the crime. Here's the crime. Ding.